0: Welcome to the REL Talk Show, where we get up close with some of the greatest business minds in APAC as they answer 10 questions about marketing, business, leadership, and management. Discover how current trends combine with timeless marketing principles for undisputed business success and become a marketing leader to go beyond your farthest ambitions. So get ready for some real talk with leaders in 10 questions with your host, Vineet Rajan.
1: Hi, I'm Vineet. Thanks for joining in. In this episode, we are talking to Parul, who is an FMCG enthusiast with 15 years of sales and marketing experience at Mondelez, earlier known as Cadbury. She joined there as a summer trainee and ended up heading some of the sweetest brand portfolios in the country Cadbury Dairy Milk, Gems, Five Star, Celebrations, Fuse, and many more. In her last role, she was leading modern trade sales for Mondelez. She has won various accolades in her career, the most noteworthy one being the AMIA Globe Award. She was also in the list of Hot Young Marketeers by Brand Equity very recently. She is also an active member of ISEC, an international not-for-profit organization. Her passions include food, art, wildlife, which she enjoys with her husband and two boys. Parul is a strong proponent of diversity at workplaces and that is also something we are going to be diving into in this episode. Of Rel Talk. Welcome to the show, Parul.
2: Thank you for calling me over. Very, very happy to be a part of Real Talk.
1: Thanks so much, Parul. From my side, all our viewers, all our listeners, I'm sure there's a lot we're gonna be learning, listening to, and it's gonna be super engaging. So let's dive in, Parul. Tell us about Parul as a marketeer.
2: <laughs> very, very interesting question, that one. First of all, the terms marketing or marketeers. These are very interesting terms. If you go by the typical definition of marketing, it's the term used for getting people interested in your companies or product or service. However, I think it's fairly amoebic, fairly shapeless in nature. To me, marketing is the epicenter of any organization. And a good marketer should be able to define a very clear vision and purpose and possibly live with that for a very long time. If I had to describe myself as a marketeer, I think I would have to tell you a little bit of what kind of a person I am. I'm fairly forthright with my views. It's almost difficult for me not to share what I feel about a certain creative angle or view. Not so sure if that's always a good thing or a bad thing, but that's the way I am. And I think having a point of view and being able to share it in a room in the right manner is something that has helped uh, me and it always helps uh, if you are a marketeer. Uh, And one must try to get better at it over time. Secondly, I'm a very emotional person. I laugh easily and I cry easily. And for a very long time, I felt that isn't a very good thing. But I've realized it's a pretty darn good thing to uh, have if you are a marketeer. Because the work you do needs to make someone somewhere feel some heightened sense of emotion. It can be joy. It can be remorse. It can be nostalgia. It can be anxiety. And if your work isn't making or causing some emotion, then it's possibly a trick that you're missing somewhere. So I guess we all need to be emotionally involved in the work we do. And as a marketeer, I am emotional about the work I do. And lastly, I think I generally, genuinely like to observe and hear people. One of the things that I really used to do uh, and enjoy a lot when I was a brand manager was attending something called full day ethnographies. For those who don't know, it's a qualitative research design to understand culture, value, beliefs, behaviors, language for a specific segment. For the same, we used to spend about six to eight hours with the consumer in their homes. And in those eight hours, we used to eat with them, watch TV with them, basically live a day with them. And in that day, we would get to know so much more about them than a typical consumer interview. So I think as a marketer, the keenness to meet and hear the consumer always helps. I think uh, in summary, I'm emotional. I like to love to hear people and I also love to sh- share my point of view very, very clearly. I, I, lastly, I think as a marketeer also, I don't like to fix things if they're not really broken. This is something that I've learned over time. And uh, a lot of times brand owners or business leaders tend to tilt towards change. Sometimes just so that they can leave a stamp on the work that they've done during their time. And uh, I think that if we have uh, something good, we need to really nurture that. So notice the good first and then try and change the, the the bad part later. That's my view. And that's how I am as a person. So that's what I put into my work when I look at it.
1: Would you call the last bit that you mentioned your secret sauce? <laughs>
2: My secret sauce is definitely a little different. My secret sauce is um, uh, one, actually, maybe two of them. Number one, personally, I do believe that the work that we do is not something that we've done all alone. You've done it with an ecosystem. You have agencies, you have retailers, you have extended teams which are not particularly in your organization. So I'm a big, big believer of the ecosystem. And I think my uh, the secret sauce really lies in nurturing that ecosystem and the second part of the sequo- uh, the whole secret sauce is a lot more personal which is that I believe in taking a lot of holidays breaks sabbaticals and I think everyone should do that in order to go faster we need to slow down and I must say that in fact I'm on a break right now and it's extremely extremely helpful for a long long career
1: We'll come back to both these points in a bit, (laughs) Paro. Sure. Both these points, I think we should definitely dive into them a bit more. In your very illustrious career of, you know, so many years with Mondelez, if somebody had to get where you are right now, what do you think they should be doing? And is it possible that somebody gets here in far lesser time? Just take us through your entire journey and somebody had to become Parun Sharma, what should they be doing? Hmm.
2: Suddenly I'm feeling very, very special. So thanks for asking that question, Billy. I think every career is slightly different. There are no two careers which are just the same because there are different kind of people you meet. There are different kind of experiences you take and those shaping experiences really make uh, you, the person that you are, your career, what it is. However, I'll spend a couple of minutes taking you through my journey and uh, then we can come to what what is the recipe, right? So I started off about 15 years back as a summer trainee with Cadbury and I had a fabulous summer training. I joined the organization right after and since then I've had a good mix of experiences. So great experiences in sales and great experiences, uh, you know, when I was working with the brand and the category teams. While, you know, if you look at it from a distance, you'll say, hey, Parul, you have seven years of marketing experience and six years of sales experience. What's so big about it? But each experience was different. So when I joined, I got a great mix of different channels. I worked in different geographies, which gave me different shy shaping experiences. Then I went to brands. I was managing Cadbury, Deramel Silk and Bonneville at one point in time when they were kind of just being launched in the country. And later on, I was managing the kids' portfolio with Gems. Later on, I was managing Cadbury Dynamics. So these were all really, really powerful brands in the country with a great legacy behind them. But each state was very different. At some point in time, I had the challenge to fight off certain competition. At some point in time, I had the challenge to ensure that the profitability is higher. So it was a great mix of experiences that way. And most importantly, as a marketeer, it's a delight if you get to work with different kind of target audiences, right? Like sometimes you're working with kids, sometimes you're working with adults, sometimes you're working with youth. So all these experiences have made me what I am. And I'm very, very delighted about having a great mix out there. I don't know if somebody would want a career like that, but I think the only thing to remember is if you can have a, if you're making a hot sauce out of yourself, put in as much masala different kinds of masala from all parts of the world and i'm sure the sauce is going to be hot and delightful that's the recipe i would give to somebody who's just starting off
1: wow spoken like a true fmcg marketer so we've come down to masalas <laughs> as personal growth so <laughs> but i hear you parul i totally hear you i think somewhere the the foodie i'm presuming you are a big foodie is oh, yes. coming out a big slowly one. But when you put good things into a cauldron, I'm sure what comes out is, is worth its weight in salt. You spoke about different target audiences that, as, a, as a dream for marketeers. In mm-hmm. the brand portfolio that you managed and some very exciting brands. spiral, mm-hmm. whom did you consider competition and what gave you that edge over them?
2: Hmm, interesting one. See, uh, I think there's a way of looking at competition and somewhere it's unfair to define competition just as another brand operating at a similar price point sitting on the same shelf. And I'm not going to keep it very limited to the brands that I've managed, but I think as a marketer, if you're looking at competition, one needs to step into the category custodian's shoe every once in a while and reframe the category landscape. Domino shouldn't be only looking at Pizza Hut as competition but possibly every in home dining option. A Burger King shouldn't just be looking at McDonald's but also the Samosa vendor or any other street food vendor in the country because that's the real competition, right? Once you start reframing the category, I guess you discover a much larger market and definitely define many more spaces to play with. So if I have to define competition when I was uh, managing, say, brands like Five Star and uh, fuse which were catering to predominantly you but everyone e- loves to eat a five star but if we t- are to talk about the target audience i think it will be much larger than just some other chocolate brand it will possibly be the popcorn in the theater as well so i'm a big believer of uh, reframing the category need, and i think uh, that gives us many more chances to win
1: wow so you said so much without actually naming your competition <laughs>
2: Give me some points, will you? Am I burning some brownies out there?
1: (laughs) Definitely, definitely. The last 15 years, I'm sure you would have seen so much. You know, I think when you started work, Orkut, I think, was the biggest social network. Oh, yes, yes. And now where are we? (laughs) And, you know, I don't want to dilute your answer, but that's just an example. What do you think has been the biggest shift in marketing in the last 15 years?
2: Huge, huge shifts in marketing. I think as people, we have changed dramatically over the last 15 years. Childhood is not the same anymore. Growing up is not the same anymore. But as uh, marketing, uh, as marketeers, I think there are certain changes that we definitely face. One is, of course, social media, the unavoidable one. And I'm sure everyone on your podcast, if you ask the same question, will call out social media. Because... One, social media has changed the way media plans work. The traditional media plans just don't work. 10 years back, a marketing manager would say 4 weeks of TV plan for 45 seconds followed by another 4 weeks with a 30 second one outdoor push, two rounds of visibility in trade are good enough for a launch. Today, that's just not enough. You need to think about a thousand assets for a thousand different mediums, think about the right way to sample, think influencers, think e commerce d P2C ahead of time. So that landscape of how to plan media, how much money to put there where has completely changed. And I think uh, we're in a time where it's going to change every year or possibly every six months. So it's become very, very dynamic that way. The second thing is, of course, the clutter, right? Like when we were kids, we do remember that one TVC or Fevicol because we've seen that TVC only. But today this... A jar clutter happening everywhere. The attention spans are much lesser. People are uh, constantly, you know, moving their thumbs on the screen. So there is loss of attention spans, which is definitely making life difficult for marketeers. You have to make clutter-breaking campaigns. You have to say or rather give your message in much lesser time. So it is definitely much more difficult. But of course, people are finding much more creative ways to cut through the clutter around. So that's the second big change that uh, we've seen. I think the third one is, of course, the emergence of these B2C brands and many other small brands. You know, earlier, I I used to possibly, you know, only trust on one uh, cake mix that was available on the shelf. But there today, we have five different cake mixes. They're talking about five different flavors. Large companies will definitely see fragmentation of competition. It is imminent and unavoidable now so that's the third big change uh, uh, I see compared to the last 15 years and possibly the fourth one beneath where you know we've all been products of industrial revolution we've spoken and heard efficiencies and large scale of productions when we were studying in our college and possibly for the first five years 10 years in our careers we spoke a lot about efficiency we spoke about mass production etc etc But things are changing and we've also seen personalization, customization become, uh, you know, riders for brands and and attributes which really lead to increase in consumer preference today. And uh, large brands will have to really balance that in the coming years on how do you personalize customize for your specific customer uh, or consumer and also maintain some level of efficiency. So yeah, the world is much more dynamic, much more VUCA and I mean, needless to say, with things like corona coronavirus, things are changing every day.
1: There's so much insight in that answer, Parul. Tell me something about what defines your management style when it comes to driving teams. What works for you?
2: Of course, I will, when I have to answer that question, I'll say all good things about myself. But I'm also going to use a little bit of my parenting technique while I answer this. So, to give you a little bit of a background, I... I studied marketing and spent a great uh, amount of my career managing different brands and living through them. And then uh, at at my house, I have my husband who is also in the similar field. And then there are kids who are, of course, consumers, big consumers with big points of views out there. So that's how my family is. As a person, I think I like to hear. I like to hear people. I like to hear about their experiences. I like to hear about uh, their point of views, and then possibly frame my own. So I'm fairly observant as a person. And uh, when it comes to managing teams, whether they're my own teams within the organization, or there are agency teams that you're working with, or cross-functional, or you know, regional teams that you're working with, I like to take different points of views before making my own opinion. So, So that's how I am. And I think I possibly did not have that attribute when I was just very, very new in the organization, but I've developed it over time and I've developed it after being a parent because I've learned that it's very important to hear. It's very, very important to respond the right way once you hear a point of view. So I've become observant. I wasn't always like that, but I've become observant and that's something that is really helping me. Managing teams, managing stakeholders. The other uh, style that I have, and that's something a lot of uh, team members also tell me, is that I'm fairly trusting. By that, I mean that I do give people their own space. And giving space is very, very important. I think it's even more important if you're working in a creative field, because uh, your partner, your agency, your will need that amount of freedom to be able to think through things in a complete manner if you place the constraints to them at the very start, they'll possibly not be able to bring the best idea to the table. So that way i a little trusting. And I think we've been able to work through with great teams who have understood my constraints even before I've told them to them and then brought the best ideas onto the table. And lastly, I think as a brand owner, the glossy part of managing a brand or a category is of course the advertising that you create. What you put out to the world to see, but uh, the, the slightly non glamorous part is the logistics of it: managing projects, managing the timelines, delivering on time, on point. And I think as as a uh, custodian, I've been fairly tight on that. I'm a decent project manager, and I hold timelines close to my heart, so I'm able to get work done. So yes, I think it's a good mix of having a creative eye, trusting teams and also managing product projects closely. So that's the kind of mix that I am. And of course I have a lot to thank my boys and my colleagues for making me the person that I am today.
0: Dear listeners, we'd like to take a minute to put in a word from our partner and podcast host, Hubhopper. Hubhopper Studio is India's leading podcast creation platform. You can start podcasting with Hubhopper Studio and get your voice heard across platforms like Spotify, Ghana, Google Podcasts, Wink Music, and more. So click on the link in the episode description or visit www.hubhopperstudio.com.
1: Okay, moving a little away from your management style, you are a big advocate about workplace diversity. How do you think corporate India can achieve better diversity in workplaces and I also want to follow this up very quickly. So the recent World Economic Forum, you know, re- released the Global Gender Gap Index, yeah. and which puts India at 140. First, your opinion on the workplace diversity situation in India. Second is, I think, as a, as a country or as the world at large, what behavioral aspects do you feel contribute to this? How can we change as a society? to make this better
2: yes yes Vineet, I I saw the numbers and the numbers are not impressive at all the needle hasn't really moved over many years now and it's not it's not like other countries have an impressive score either so when it comes to representation in the boardrooms the number has really not moved despite the level of commitment that large organizations or large governments are showing and um, it's true that women it's likely that women in many offices across the country and across the world are likely to be outnumbered. In fact I've been and I know a lot of other friends who've been the only woman in the room and I kind of understand what it feels like. I'm sure every woman in the workplace would have faced uh, bias sometimes conscious sometimes unconscious and and as Organizations, I think all we need to do is possibly weed out those unconscious biases in the years to come. Some of the things I've observed and also read about are that women are likely to be mistaken as junior colleagues, women are less likely to be having access to senior leaders, and it speaks about the kind of bias that exists not only in our country but uh, possibly many other countries. And then ultimately, it is women which are. Uh, seeing gender as an obstacle, I mean the last thing that you must see in your career is your own gender as an obstacle to grow, but then that's true right like there is they are hesitant at workplace about asking for opportunities, asking for more exposure, and at at home there's possibly not equal division of the 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 household chores so there's there's kind of a double whammy they're constantly facing. And, as organizations uh i mean i I've seen a great deal of conversation happening on this topic. We've seen organizations are actually pushing for diversity they're pushing for empowerment through policies. A lot of organizations have fantastic policies when it comes to maternity, flexi working child care care, work from home and I'm hoping that work from home becomes very, very uh, mainstream after corona but then there is this is one part of the entire uh, jigsaw, right? Like you can empower through the right policies so that it doesn't become a taboo when you're asking for a certain kind of leave or you're asking for some kind of a time off. But the second part is uh, about behaviors. How do you make those behaviors? How do you set those examples so that women get more empowerment? And I think if there are three words that I would like to put out there to everyone who's a manager or everyone who's leading an organization is, take more risks. Just take more risks when it comes to women. Punt equally. We, uh, There are a hundred examples when you would possibly punt on a male colleague when he's half ready, punt on the female colleague when she's half ready. When it comes to criticism, please criticize equally. Don't have a different kind of a scale when you're criticizing female colleagues versus male colleagues. And lastly, partner equally. If you think you're nurturing somebody, then partner equally. So that's the only thing that I would like to say to the, you know, uh, corporate world or organizations or governments out there that take more risks when it comes to women. And it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a thing that we have to do for one year or two years. We'll possibly have to have this mindset for the next decade, but things will become better only if we take the right risks at the right time. I kind of understand what it is like to be the the only woman in the room when it comes to boardrooms. And there is some inherent hesitation that females have while putting themselves out there, while uh, taking feedback, while raising their hands. I think the, the word that I would have for my female colleagues or women there in the workforce is just raise your hand. Even if you feel... You're 50%, 60% ready. Just raise your hand because everyone learns on the road. You know, everyone learns while walking. Nobody knows walking when they're born, but they learn along the way. So raise your hand, be confident, take risks on yourself and enable other people to help you.
1: There's so much depth in what you mentioned, Parul. And, you know, it, it takes me back to a quote by Sheryl Sandberg where she said, in the future, there'll be no female leaders. There will just be leaders. No,
2: actually, right? and I, I think mean, we have to work towards that world. At this point in time, there is a great uh, divide. There is a boss and then there is a female boss, right? You know, a lot of organizations. I think we need to take that away. And we'll have to work towards that. Uh, it's it's difficult. I don't think we're moving the needle that much. as As the corporate world, we're talking a lot about it. And I'm glad we're talking a lot about it today. But I'm hoping that this... Uh, talk doesn't die down, it doesn't get uh, reduced, but it's only increasing and it really helps some numbers change in the future.
1: Certainly, certainly hope and work towards it. Even as I speak as a professional myself, I think these are things that we as managers, irrespective of gender, also need to kind of inculcate in our respective teams and organizations.
2: Absolutely. I mean, we have to be very, very conscious about this. There are two kinds of loads. There are physical loads. You know, there are things in the to-do lists that are there to be done. There is, uh, you know, laundry to be done. And then there is, there are a set of emails to be answered. So there is physical load and then there is mental load, right? And I'm not able to recall the author here, but she beautifully penned down that how women take a lot more mental load compared to their partners at home also. And uh, similarly, they feel a lot more um, uh, bound to deliver when it comes to workplaces. They're not able to release themselves of that pressure because they believe that they've been judged constantly. Uh, And I think that's the that's the judgment, or rather, that's the attitude that we need to take away. The constant judgment doesn't really lead to great amount of work. If your mind isn't free, you won't be able to deliver your hundred percent. So we need to ensure that tomorrow there's a brighter, much kinder world for the women folks out there where uh, they're less likely to be judged. Not only at workplace, but otherwise as well.
1: Certainly hope so. You know, earlier in the interview, Parul, you mentioned about taking breaks in your career, right? And there is a journey that lies ahead of you right now. Tell me how these breaks have kind of worked out for you.
2: Great. I think you know a lot about me, Vineet, which is why you're asking this question. You just answered, you just
1: told (laughs) in the beginning of the interview about taking breaks. Yes.
2: So saving
1: this question.
2: (laughs) Lovely. Yes, I think Vineet, I have been a big, big believer in breaks. And um, I'm also lucky. I must thank my stars that have been privileged enough to take those breaks in my career. I must say that I'm fairly ambitious about myself. As a person, I'm fairly competitive in nature. And the breaks that I took earlier in my career also made me insecure at some points in time that, hey, does this mean I'm going to be behind my batchmates when it comes to promotions? Or will this maternity break, you know, let me lose the opportunity I have to become a brand manager of X X and Y brand? So those thoughts definitely came. Uh, early on my in my career. But I think each time I've taken a break, whether it's a sabbatical or a maternity break or just some time to, you know, set up my house when I was shifting, these breaks have really helped me go faster. They have just, they've been like a reset button in my life. So if I can tell you the pattern in my uh, 14, 15 years of career, I have actually taken three breaks. This is my fourth one right now. So technically, I do take a break after every four years, possibly after every two stints, I end up taking one break, which goes um, from either one and a half months to it spans to one year also. That's been my pattern and that's something that has worked for me. The reason it has worked for me is, one, it really resets my priorities, not only about work, but about life. I get time to think about everything around me, about environment about the globe about my parents about my relationship with my partner my kids everything so that reset is really really useful the second thing the breaks help is that you just end up looking at the larger picture i mean you get some time off to imagine your life 25 years later and what would truly make you happy and then really work towards that so these breaks have really helped me and if people get a chance they must take breaks in their careers There's no point in just running all the time. I also like to get a lot, you know, very, very immersed in my work. So possibly I also need that break. So when I'm working uh, eight hours or 10 hours or 12 hours, I would work and not take a break myself in that day. So possibly as a person, I do need to switch off after every, you know, two to three years. So that's something that is a secret sauce. (laughs) And it's it's not something that possibly works for everyone, but it definitely works for me. So, if you have the privilege, please go ahead and take some breaks, enjoy life, look at nature, and then look at the big picture, which is coming.
1: And certainly hope that this break does wonders for you. Personally, I'm, sure it I'm looking will. <laughs> forward to what comes from here, this journey that you kind of are embarking at this point. So, we are eight questions down, Parul. We still have two more. Okay. And the marketing aspect, let's just quickly go back, shift mm-hmm. gears again. Mm. Tell me about some of your favorite marketing campaigns. You know, it could be one, it could be 10, it could be three. I leave the choice to you. And these favorite ones, also
2: tell us why. Hmm. I think what's delightful in certain brands is the consistency and the freshness of creative. Each time they put forth their point. And that's made me a fan of the brand and the fan of the proposition and the people who work at it. Not necessarily one single campaign. Maybe I could start off with Nike. I think the consistency of the swoosh, of their proposition, of their tagline, each and every copy that they... And lately the work has been extremely empowering uh, for women of color, for women in general. And I'm a big fan of their work. And I think that's the beauty, right? Like you don't need to have a fresh tagline or a fresh proposition each time you're doing a clutter breaking campaign it's just a great example that you can deliver uh, a message which is pertinent today with this with a slightly uh, fresh uh, creative lens and also talk about the brand in the same breath so i really love all the work that nike really does and a couple of other campaigns which have been a source of imp- inspiration i think all the work that fevicol does it's it's wacky it's funny it's outrageously funny and nobody can really forget the assets that they've really built whether it's those two elephants joined at the bum or it's their taglines i think fevicol has done some outstanding work in the country and they continue to do that for the last 20 years they've just been inspiring and it's it's how it's funny how they are able to crack such uh, lovely work every year and and what's inspiring is that today it's not just limited to their TVCs in, in their digital copies in in the, you know, the storytelling that they do when it comes to digital viral campaigns. It's very, very good. And it'll be wrong for me to not talk about Shimona or Cadbury, you know, cricket pitch TVC uh, belongs to 1995, I think, where the girl comes to the cricket ground dancing. I think that's one of the uh best campaigns I've seen in my life. I think it, it the the kuch khas in zindigi me, and kuch mita ho jaye work came uh one right after the other and uh, that work has been I mean of course fully acknowledged by possibly every marketeer in the country but uh, the fact that it has left such a strong imprint on thousands of minds it's quite amazing. I must say that, you know, that particular campaign has really changed the fortunes, not only of the company, but the entire category in general. Uh, so these two, three examples really are the best when it comes to good, uh, good good marketing work. I would also like to talk about some outrageous work. So, for sure. example, the, the Moldy Burger, the Burger King campaign, where they actually showed the Moldy Burger. I think that was quite uh, brave of them to do. As a food, I've, I've, you know, kind of lived in the food industry for the last fourteen, fifteen years, and to show your product, which is, you know, visually despicable, is outrageous. And they took that risk, and they were talked about in PR circles, and they left quite an impression. So I, I do like the work that Burger King also does.
1: Yeah, in fact, uh, talking of Burger King, they've also taken some very calculated risks where they have taken their competition head on. Oh, yes. In many instances.
2: Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. Uh, How do think, you read
1: into something like that?
2: Well, it's it's an interesting take, right? Like, when you take on a competition which is fairly well established and continue to be in the limelight because of them. So, what I love about the Burger King uh, work is that they absolutely respect their competition. And in multiple campaigns, they've really... Uh, taken over competition or rather uh, worked as a parasite on their competition's existing campaign so some really smart work making it directly to the PR hi- headlines definitely so very very smart work out there I think Vinith, I must say that it's not easy to pull that off because some of the work that they've done whether it was you know putting the outdoors or uh, you know building on the maps I don't know if you've seen all their work but that work really requires very, very smart media planning and absolute swiftness in execution. So they've been able to do that in style and they've done some fantastic use of social media, capturing all of it, putting it back online. So big appreciation for those folks. Yeah? Not, uh, it's not possible for everyone to do that in such style.
1: Definitely. Definitely. In fact, one of the brands I really admire for for all the work that they do.
0: Mm, in this
1: domain. Great. So, last and final question, Parul. So, this is like the real talk moment. <laughs> so, if there's one advice you'd want to give our listeners, what would that be?
2: Hmm. I think my one advice in today's world would be to share your point of view. No matter where you are, in which room you're sitting, no matter how many stakeholders you've got to manage, just have a point of view and share it. It is very, very important in today's day and age. What I don't want to say here, Vineet, is that go and rage about your point of view because I do see a lot of hate on social media. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about corporate circles. When you're sitting in a room, when you're listening to people, when you're absorbing from people, I think it's important to frame your own point of view and share it in the best manner so that it can get absorbed and executed later. So that's my one single advice.
1: Thanks so much, Paral, for sharing that. I think traditionally, a lot of people in the corporate world don't voice their opinion because they fear getting ridiculed. And you also mentioned in one of the questions in the interview about how women kind of hold themselves back. There are so many levels at which this one advice can kind of go. So thanks so much for sharing that, Paral. And thank you for being on the show. It was lovely, great, very engaging conversation that we've had so thanks so much again, Paral. Thank you so much.
2: I had a great time being here. Thank you, Vineet.
0: If you like this episode of the REL Talk Show, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you think this podcast would help someone else, do share. Your support will take us a long way in reaching more listeners. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to email alerts on www.reltalk.show.com.